All right, guys, what is going on today? We have a special episode and more importantly, very special for me. I have upgraded the podcast gear yet again. Thank you guys very much for listening and keeping this going. Honestly, you know, I didn't know if the podcast was ever really going to you know, take off or have any purpose or anything, but I get a lot of really positive feedback about it now. And, you know, Ryan and I had recorded this podcast two hours together and the sound quality was just not great. And if you guys know me at all, you know that I am a perfectionist. And I want this to be a very high quality podcast. I want it to be something that you guys can enjoy and you don't have to sit and listen to static or echoes or bad sound. So I researched a lot. I did a lot and tried to get top of the line gear, which is cool for me. I mean, I'm a nerd with that stuff, so I like uh, doing that. But I'm also going to try to take some other things to the next level too. So a few things, if you guys are an avid listener of this podcast that you can do to help. First, I'm going to start to put some of these on YouTube, which I know for a lot of you isn't going to matter if you're listening to the podcast already. That's how you consume podcasts. But if you have other friends or you guys find one that you like, you can now share the video or the link on social media, which will be cool. So if you guys have a friend, you have somebody who maybe. Maybe they really needed to listen to the saying no or, you know, auditing their friends or holding yourself to a higher standard. That was a huge one for a lot of people. And if they need that stuff now, you can link it in like, you know, Facebook or, you know, Twitter or things like that and use the YouTube clip and then you can tag people in it and do that. That's going to be a good way to share it. Obviously, you can always just share the straight podcast. If you guys are listening on Apple, you guys can just share it with other Apple users via text message. That is also easy. Uh, And then also you're going to start to see uh, I'm probably going to try to get some of the stuff on Instagram for uh, for Jenny with some quote clips and stuff. And then we're going to try to start trimming some one minute clips out uh, so that you guys can get little kind of teasers uh, via Instagram and have little quotables on that, which I think is kind of a cool way. Some of the podcasts that I listen to do that. They start with kind of a quotable, which I've always enjoyed. I think that that's a kind of a cool feature. So hopefully you guys are going to enjoy some of those positive changes and you guys are looking forward to seeing the podcast grow and improve and get better. And hopefully this continues to have value to people in the health and wellness and mindset space. We also have some other cool things coming. I'm not going to release any of it yet because we don't know for sure what's going to be happening with it. And as soon as I do know, you guys will know. But let's dive into this podcast. Ryan Hastings has come on and started to coach at Friendship, and he is taking over what we've been calling our functional bodybuilding program. And in reality, that's just sort of the methodology that we are following with the program. It's a program sort of created by Marcus Philly or made famous by Marcus Philly. Him and Mike Lee, his coach, made it together. And I I have really started to find value in this type of programming and this type of training. I always had a major issue with just straight bodybuilding training. I'm not going to get into that too much, but it's just not a very good bang for your buck way to train. And then I also had an issue with the pure endurance. And now also there are some issues inside of CrossFit and classic CrossFit training that I also have issues with. 
And not necessarily for myself, though I do, right? There are certain things now that I'm not going to be doing, like kipping handstand push-ups, because that really is a competitive testing style movement as opposed to something that's going to get you a lot of training value. So this podcast is kind of a deep dive and discussion into why we like this style of training and who it has value for and why somebody can take away a lot of different things from this kind of one hour class. And then now we're going to start really putting, you know, money where our mouth is, I guess you would say. And Ryan's going to start to develop this into a more full service program where we're going to be offering it three total days throughout the week at Friendship. And you guys will have the option to be able to get that program remotely if you guys are listening and not currently enrolled at Friendship. So just some fun and exciting things for us. I know we're really excited to be able to bring this to more people. Uh, And I, I know we've just been having a lot of success with it on Sunday. So if you guys are another gym owner who listens or anything and you guys are interested, reach out to us and I hope you guys enjoy the podcast. All right, we are here with Ryan Hastings, the man of functional bodybuilding and what we are going to be calling at Friendship build. And so it's going to be one of our new program offerings and something that we hope to expand and grow and ironically enough, build uh, as a a new program offering. So, uh, so Ryan, for those of you who have not listened to previous podcasts with you and maybe are not a part of friendship, why don't you give us just a brief introduction on who you are, what you do now professionally, and uh, a little bit about uh, what your passions are as it pertains to build. Sure. Uh, so my name is Ryan. I am uh, one of the fortunate few to call myself a coach at Friendship. Uh, so that is where my, I spend my days and evenings is working with people there, um, coaching group class. And also uh, a little more recently, heading up the functional bodybuilding program, which is with the subject of this podcast uh, in various ways and something that we're looking to build a little bit, so to speak. And tell me a little bit about uh, kind of, you know, everything's kind of circular, right? But how you kind of, you know, what your training was like leading up to CrossFit and how that has kind of circled itself around into yeah. uh, functional bodybuilding oh, passion. I'm glad you asked. Yeah. So I spent the better part of my non-sports playing athletic career in conventional gyms doing very conventional things, which is to say uh, bodybuilding type stuff, often unintentionally, not necessarily with the goal of being a quote unquote bodybuilder, but of wanting to look effectively as jacked as possible and to be as strong as I could. Put everybody on notice. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's, there's a little Napoleonic (laughs) issue when you're a little guy that you, that you tend to want to do that where big guys don't have the same, don't necessarily have the same problem. So maybe our lesson is fine. Yeah. I think everybody at some level does. Uh, but I spent the better part of 20 years working out in different gyms in doing, uh, bodybuilding type stuff, bench press, curls, lat pull downs, that kind of stuff. Um, not a whole lot of functional movement just cause I didn't, wasn't aware that that was something that you should do. Um, and then over time I started to see that there were big different other worlds out there. It started with, with starting to become interested in kettlebell stuff and learning about, uh, Pavel Setsulin, 
and his whole thing and reading beyond bodybuilding and seeing kind of the, there's a little bridge there. He was, that was maybe the beginning probably of functional bodybuilding. Um, and then of course, very soon after that discovering CrossFit and seeing that whole world, um, but even within doing CrossFit, I still, you don't stop loving the things that you have loved for a long time. Yeah. So you don't stop loving bench press. You don't stop loving strict pull-ups and strict press and these things that are um, not very dynamic, but but fun to do and require a lot of absolute strength. So um, as I became more familiar with the concept of functional bodybuilding, it had immediate and permanent appeal to me. Oh, and I think a lot of times what we talk about with bodybuilding or traditional gym training, if we want to call it that, right, is that lack of both guidance, but community and other people. And one of the cool things that I think you get exposed to and a lot of people for the first time in CrossFit, but now there's other options. But for a lot of people that that first dive into like, wow, this is kind of fun. I can, I can do all that stuff I was doing, you know, but now I can do it with people in an open conversational setting. Whereas a lot of traditional dim stuff, it's even if you go with a friend, I mean, there's like soft elevator music in the background because everybody's got headphones in you're running into issues with running into people and there's like, not everybody's on the same page. It's not an open floor layout in actuality. It's like a congested floor layout and you know, you're fighting and you're waiting on squat racks and all this stuff as opposed to, you know, now we have this big open floor plan and we can really utilize the space and we can do those things with a little bit more structure and a lot more fun. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, the conventional gem, you know, for what it's worth, it's probably inherently antisocial yeah. at this point in time. Um, and the way we proceed with functional bodybuilding and just group class generally is inherently social yeah. and inherently interactive with other people, which makes it 10,000 times more fun. And that takes some, you know, I remember oh, coming you think in. you're doing 65s today, huh? Right. Why, why don't you go grab those 85s? Exactly. Right? Yeah. Push. And it takes a second, um, to adjust to that. I remember because you're used to not talking to anyone. Um, there's still days now where I'm warming up and I'm not talking a whole lot because it, maybe it's habit or maybe it's just you're, you're focused on a, whatever you're getting ready to do. Um, but it's a mind shift. But once you make the mind shift, it is so much better and so much more fun. And you don't, it goes away from having to go to the gym which is very much a conventional gym feeling like you have to go and get it in to check a box to now you are excited to go. You're thinking about whatever we're going to do on a given day and you are timing when you go in many cases, depending on who else is going to be there in a positive way. It's inherently, like I said, social. It's a perfect way to do it. Yeah. And I think what we find then is, you know, we're big on that kind of mentor building process. And one of the things that we found, because we've been you know, sort of trialing this and now it's really turned into a full blown program. So I wouldn't call it a trial anymore on Sundays. But what we see is people at different levels and people from different class times are starting to not only become friends, and get to know each other and get to train together. And that's fun and exciting. So people have the enjoyment of the social atmosphere of it. But what we also see is 
you get some really advanced athletes coming in there. And then you also have brand new day one, have never done anything beginners. Yeah. I love that element of it where you have some people, um, who are, you know, in, in the scope of the gym population, trending more towards the the higher level elite end. They're very strong, especially in many cases relative to their physical size, really strong, really skilled, also really nice people. Um, And then you have, we've had some people where it's their functional bodybuilding is their first class when they finish one-on-one sessions. They don't even start with CrossFit. Um, They come in there because it's inherently also approachable. It is, um, not dissimilar from CrossFit, it is infinitely scalable because it's relative to your skill level, your strength, but anybody can count to five. And if you can do basic movements like pick up stuff from the ground, squat, press things over your head, you can do functional bodybuilding. That's all it takes. If you can count and do those things, you're able to do it. Sometimes counting it and doing those things can be challenging together. Though. Yeah. But it's like, sometimes the, the clock in your head runs a little fast. Yeah. Sometimes. When you're doing five, 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 five for five reps and you've got, you know, some decent load going, start to lose your mind a little bit and forget yeah. what rep you're on. Yeah. But I love that aspect of it. And what we talk about a lot, you know, because we have such advanced athletes in the facility, we always look at, how can we push these guys to the next level? How can we take them to that next step? But then at the same time, you know, our biggest worry is, you know, is this safe and effective for beginners? So let's talk real quick about the beginners. We'll talk about how this moves advanced athletes forward uh, here in a second. But day one beginner, so you said people's first class, right? How is somebody who's coming in with this as their first class, how should they approach it? What are they trying to get out of it? And then why do you think that it is a good option? Or, you know, I even could make the argument that it's maybe the best option. Maybe the option. Yeah. Yeah. So I think most importantly, and this would actually span across the entire population of people interested in coming in, is to come in with an open mind. Come in ready to learn. Come in maybe ready to try things you've never tried before maybe to do things at a lower weight than you're used to. Um, and that none of those things are a bad thing. It's the opposite. They're a good thing. Um, so I think that would be the first thing is open-mindedness. Um, attention to movement would be the big second thing for a beginner, especially there's a moment in time when we learn something new where everything feels just terribly awkward, everything. And this magic thing happens within your body where it literally, you know, literally rewires itself to learn, quote unquote, that movement, literally and figuratively. Um, And that that process takes a little bit of time. But just to embrace that it's going to feel a little awkward initially, um, but to realize that everyone has gone through that same awkwardness. The other 30 people that you see there have all done that. And they've just, they're just at a point that's a little farther along in the spectrum. So to come in ready for that um, and come in ready to meet new people and all maybe a little bit different from normal class, have a little more time to chat. So there are days where there is not a whole lot of time to chat where we are, we're moving and grooving the entire time. However, there are days where on purpose you have time to stand there 
and chat and catch up or meet with and make friends with uh, your partners or the people around you. And that is absolutely by design. Yeah. And you get two things out of that one. We're trying to let the muscles rest and recover so that you can come back and move with the same intention and intensity throughout all of the sets. Right. So like from a training aspect, that's why we're doing it. But then you get all these other endorphins, you get all these positive emotions from, you know, just the enjoyment of social engagement, which is really good for human beings. Also talk a little bit about why you think like as a coach, why you like having somebody new come in and do some tempo squats and you can, you know, dive in a little bit deeper than maybe you could inside of a a CrossFit class or maybe even a one-on-one session. So I think that there's a couple things happening in a session like that. When you are asking someone to move through something slowly, it makes errors in movement more apparent to them specifically. So maybe I can see them better because they're moving slowly, but that actually only carries so much value because I can see them all day long. But if you can't, if you don't notice them and you can't, you, the athlete can't fix them. It doesn't matter. It doesn't make any difference. So as we move slowly through something, let's call it a front squat. And if we have errors or losses in tension or stability, um, those become obvious to us because we're moving slowly and therefore we can work on fixing them. Fixing them might be drills, fixing them might be lowering the weight. It it could take a lot of different um, paths. But I think that's the big thing. And especially for someone who's new or newer and still learning those movement paths, if we can slow down and really focus on doing them perfectly at weight, at a challenging weight that has tremendous, um, the pays tremendous dividends going forward. Also, there's a little side benefit when you do that in a group setting. And I think this is where it can be even better at some level than a one-on-one setting is you can see people across from you, beside you, all around you doing it while you're taking your breaks who are moving really, really well. And those are the people with regard to movement that one would aspire to be. So if you're brand new and you just learned the front squat seven days ago and you're across from somebody who is extremely proficient at the front squat, say Jason Grove, he's worked a lot. It works a lot on it. Really strong. Again, one of those people with elite level strength relative to their physical size. He's the perfect person to see because you're going to see him moving really well as a result of his own effort and time. And it's going to show you in real time how you should be moving. And I think that that is very important. We as coaches can cue things, lift your elbows up, pick a spot up high to look at. You know, I want to see the symbol on your shirt, all these things that are effective. However, what's really effective is to watch other people do it really well and then try to emulate them. So I think that's where this can have some increased value even over uh, a session in a a one-on-one setting. Yeah. And what I like is, you know, and we talk about mirrors a lot, right? We are talking about coming from a traditional gym and let's say, you know, day one person here, wherever they're coming from, even now, whether it's orange theory or, you know, workshop method or Pilates or a traditional gym. Guess what all those places have in common? You're staring right at your own mug, right? And as we all know, 
regardless of who you are, when you are in a gym with mirrors, you are really checking yourself out and you just can't help it. It's like your eye contact is in the mirror is designed to go to you. And so you are watching your own movement all the time. And what we find with people is two things. Number one, you don't learn good muscle memory from that, right? If you did, we would see every golf player, we would see every basketball player, every quarterback, all the drills they'd be doing would be in front of a mirror. You'd be practicing your shot and your swing in front of a mirror, right? But that's not the way that you learn to be in tune with your own movement, with your own muscle you know, movement patterns. We have to feel that. And so mirrors in gyms do a unbelievable disservice to the athlete in terms of learning and feeling movement, proper movement. Yeah. And so for a lot of people, this is going to be their first time really like, I, I don't, I don't know where to look. How many people have you had that are beginners where uh, step one is, you know, stop looking at the ground, like look up, you know, or, yeah. or, you know, I want you to look at this spot on the wall. And I've got athletes that have been with me for four or five years and, you know, we're doing squat cycle and still get your eyes up, you know, Hey, we're looking here, we're on the horizon or we're eight feet in front of you. And we're still fixing chin position, eye position, and we're still doing these things. And when people come in and this is their first real experience with that, it takes, it takes a little time, but it's amazing how much you see movement develop when it's there's good. Here's what you're doing. Here's how we're going to try to fix it, right? I'm going to give you a cue for this. We're going to take the weight down, right? We're going to maybe just do no weight and I'm going to give you a path and I want your knees to fit right into this path because right now they're caving in and I want you to flex them out a little bit. I want you to keep that arch in your foot, right? Go ahead and slip your shoes off, right? Because you, everybody comes in CrossFit. It's like you got these big moon shoes, right? You got tons of foam <laughs> padding underneath it. And, and, and those, again, what does that cause you to do, right? It's like, okay, these are billed as running shoes or athletic shoes. Well, what they do is they, they take away your ability to feel the floor, which is monumental when it comes to squatting, deadlifting, walking, doing anything. So we have these, these amazing muscles and we have this incredible mind and body for movement and feeling and learning and muscle memory. It's like, you know, no other being has that capability like we have. And yet so many things that we're used to or coming from in a traditional gym setting really set you behind the eight ball for that. And so that's why I think now as we do this longer and longer, coming up on, you know, 10 years of teaching people how to move, humans move, it's not getting better. People are coming in, you know, further behind from having great mobility and great stability now than they ever have. And I think 10 years from now, it'll be even worse. We look at, you know, a day one beginner for a kid now who's 16 and sits and plays video games for six hours a day and never carried his backpack to school, you know, and gets picked up at his doorstep and dropped off at the doorstep of school. That kid's been getting set behind the eight ball for his whole life. And so now when he comes in and starts trying to figure out how to move, it's going to be even harder and it's going to be way worse. So what we do is we, it really is breaking things down to like base fundamental. Number one, it's like, take your shoes off. You are now just a human being with shorts, socks, 
and a t-shirt on. And we're just going to get back to teaching how to move like a human should. This is how you're supposed to pick something up. This is how you're supposed to sit your butt down to the ground, right? This is, this is how you do things. Sorry. And, and then now once you can do that, we're going to do it real slow and then we'll start to up up the intensity, right? There'll be a little bit more weight or now it'll be a little bit harder movement. Now it'll be a little bit more challenging of a tempo. And so, like you said, it's infinitely scalable upwards, but the ability to learn movement is why I think I like this method of training better than anything. I just think it's, it's an amazing way to just take things down to base level one. Yeah, absolutely. You you stole my what I was going to say is we uh, we strip it down to just being a human being again. And one has to forgive the person who comes in with moon shoes because the, those things are done out of an effort to do the right thing. Yeah. So one has to always see that is the effort is there and the intention is there. It's just the understanding that's lacking. Yeah. And that's the same in the conventional gym. All the, the best intentions are there. Oh People yeah. Grinding. I tra- I trained my ass morning. hours and just hours in the gym and just no games. The effort <laughs> no is, is almost always there. The intention is there. The knowledge piece is the problem. And so we, you know, in this class at some level, bring you back to being closer to a human being again, to your, your basic human form. And part of that is by forcing you to feel with your feet and feel with your arms and feel where the bar is, not see it, feel it. Where are your feet positioned, et cetera. And part of it, quite frankly, is the feeling that you get so it is feeling the bar, but is the feeling of lifting weights and how that makes you feel. And there, it's an indescribable feeling. That's why people come and exercise because and I tell this to people all the time because I sincerely believe it to be true. It's what we're designed to do. We are designed to chase animals through the woods or in some cases run away from them, um, hunt them and eat them. That's what we're designed to do. That's what we have been doing for 95% of the time that we have existed as a species. Yeah, probably, yeah I was going to say yeah, more like 99%. 99%, right? Yeah. right? Yeah. And it, that's, that's why you feel so good after you exercise, even if it's hard. And that's why you feel awful if you don't and you just sit in front of a computer because you are not designed physically to do that. Um so at the most basic level, we just we just for an hour at a time bring you back to what you're supposed to do. And we just the the we have all these other fun side benefits that come from that. But the, at the most basic level, it's just we make you a little more human. Yeah. So let's get into the the side benefits, because I think that's a perfect segue. So we covered, you know, the the tagline for this uh, for functional body is look good, move well. So I think we just covered the move well. Right. right. Uh, you know, we break the break the movements down do a lot of tempo work, which has fantastic, uh, you know, lots of benefits, both from building lean muscle, but also helping, you know, ligament strength, mobility, stability, all of it kind of at the same time. And we can get back into that a little bit when we start talking about more of the elite level athletes and and building both at the same time. But, you know, the ancillary benefit is the look good. Yeah. So there's a, there are several ancillary benefits. We'll start with, maybe the one that has the broadest appeal. 
which is the aesthetic one. So when you move slowly, especially when you move slowly in an eccentric way, so a classic way to think of eccentric would be the down portion of a squat. That's where your muscles are lengthening. If you do that slowly, it causes far more micro tears in the muscle and that's what we want. That muscle, therefore, your body's reaction to that is to rebuild that muscle to be bigger and stronger, to be ready for the next bout of whatever that's going to be. The end result of that is a combination of you getting physically stronger. So absolute strength on the one hand, but also muscle growth. You become more muscular. Now, it's important to to think of this in the correct way because I think some people have a little bit of a misconception with regard to muscularity and what happens to you if you work out. This will not make you, unless you take exogenous hormones, which are steroids, this will not make you look like Ronnie Coleman. Yeah. That is not like if, you know, uh, the concern of ladies becoming bulky, it is nearly impossible for you to become bulky. You don't have the, the hormonal makeup for that to actually happen. Yeah. You need to take external hormones to make it happen. Yeah. It's like, you're not, you know, it's easiest to look at, you know, like you and Shaq. It's just like Shaq was going to be big and play in the NBA pretty much regardless of how he ate or how he trained. Right. And you were probably not going to be built for the NBA, regardless of how you ate and how you trained. It's just kind of one of those things where we can't train ourselves into a totally different body type. It just doesn't exist that way. But what we can do is use this specifically how we go through movements. So tempo movements, a lot of absolute strength work to facilitate body composition change, specifically loss of body fat and increase in skeletal muscle mass. So what that ends up making you look like when you lose body fat, even if you don't have a big relative change in a gain in muscle mass, you look more muscular because you don't have a bunch of fat. You can't to steal a phrase from Arnold Schwarzenegger. You can't flex fat. So if you have less of it, (laughs) you you can't see through it either. Exactly. You, You will just end up looking better. If we, if we kind of supercharge that and we have some increase to your skeletal muscle mass, you're going to look a lot better in terms of body composition. You're also, you know, going to be a lot healthier because that's, that's the balance we want to have. We want to have more muscle and less fat. Uh, So what we do does that. It does it in a couple ways. Number one, we're causing hypertrophy because of how we're moving. So we're increasing your muscle mass. We're getting you physically stronger, which does the same thing. We're also, as you carry more muscle, your metabolic rate goes up. So it's not really about burning quote unquote calories in the workout. That really frankly is nominal at best. It does not move the needle. What does move the needle is what happens within your body, in your metabolism, the other 23 hours of the day. So if you look at someone like Omar, he's a classic example of this, where Omar carries a lot of muscle mass, a lot, and he's also very lean. Omar also eats a lot, but he can because his basal metabolic rate is sky high because of all that muscle mass that he carries. So he has a tremendous, incidentally, he also works really hard. So Omar has, Incidentally, a huge um, 
advantage with regard to that, with regard to his nutrition. And when he optimizes it, it's even more of an, an advantage because he carries so much muscle mass. And so that's what we're doing is we're really looking at fundamentally altering your metabolic rate because you carry more muscle. So it's uh, it's not dissimilar from the stock market. Yeah. Like you want your money to work for you yeah. all the time, even when you're asleep, even at three in the morning. Well, what we're trying to do is have your muscles and your body work for you all the time, even when you're doing something completely unrelated to exercise. Yeah. And so this is the analogy. And if you just do some quick math, this is a, a little bit eye-opening discussion that we do in our nutrition seminars is we talk about, you know, people always talk about calories in, calories out. I'm going to exercise, 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 because I need to burn whatever. And I need to have more calories burned than calories consumed, right? Something along those lines is, is this just big misconception, right? Well, the other side of that coin, right? And so what that equates to, if we take it to the stock market, is I need to make more money. And so I'm going to go and get a minimum wage job or I'm going to go and drive Uber from midnight to 4 a.m., right? Is I'm going to go take on this extra thing that's going to take time and effort and really produce negligible extra results, Right. Very moderate, minimal results that aren't congruent with your effort. Exactly. Right. Or I could maybe we'll just stick with the financial analogy and I'll bring it back to nutrition. Or I could maybe not buy Starbucks each day could maybe trim some of the bad eating right in this capacity. So save a little bit more. And then with that savings, I could invest it in something that is going to build compounding interest over the future, which in this case would be muscle mass, right? So the quick math on this is if I can build my basal metabolic rate to 2,500 calories per day instead of 2,000 calories per day, Okay, which is roughly, let's say, 10 pounds of muscle. Okay, so if I can put on 10 pounds of muscle this year, more than I had last year, then every single week that goes by, just sitting on my butt, not exercising at all, I'm going to burn 3,500 extra calories a week. Just sitting there. If I wake up and sit on my ass. Now, 3,500 calories a week, okay, you're going to be hard pressed on four days of hard, intense exercise to burn 3,500 calories. So that means you, 10 pounds more muscular in the future, sitting on your butt burns more calories than current you with 10 pounds less muscle mass working your freaking ass off for four days a week with super intense, really hard, you know, high level, high energy training. Right. And so, like you said, and so you think about it, it's like I burn an extra day and a half of calories just sitting around doing nothing because I put a little bit of extra time into building that muscle mass. That is then this massive hedge in the future against you ever becoming obese or, you know, putting on excess fat or being unhealthy because and this is this is why it would take Omar dedicated time in training and years to become obese because just sitting around, he probably burns close to 4,000 calories a day. His basal metabolic rate is probably close to 3,500 or 4,000. Now, if he gets up and he walks around at all and he spends any time active throughout the day, he's up at 4,500 cals, no problem. So for him to actually go into that, like think about how much bad food you would have to eat to cover 4,500 calories 
every day and just, and then do that over and over and over for months and years comparatively to the person whose metabolic rate is at 1600. Well, it's really easy to sit on your butt and go over 1600. I mean, that's like, that's like nothing, right? So it's, it's two different schools of thought. And really the longer I do it, the more that I see the value in, I could almost break down if I had to break down health in like one into one thing, it's let me see your skeletal muscle mass and your age. And it's like, if you have really good skeletal muscle mass for your age, we can work like a little bit of cleaning up the diet's going to drop that body fat percentage down. You're going to be burning tons of calories. You're going to be super healthy. Like your blood flow is going to be great. Everything's going to be good for you. So if we can get in that mode of slowly building good skeletal muscle mass, then it's, I mean, game on like sky's the limit. So then when we know that with that underlying all of this, then it comes down to bang for your buck. And that's why I love functional Bible is, is bang for your buck. So let's, you know, compare the two again, take it back to traditional gym bodybuilding. What functional bodybuilding does is we're going to hit every joint and every muscle with almost every movement, right? It's like we were doing uh, the chin over bar holds and my quads started cramping. It's like, cause you're squeezing that hollow position uh, so tight. And just in, in the process of, again, doing natural, normal human movements, the whole body has to work. And so when we're doing kettlebell front rack step back lunges, everything from your, your foot muscles all the way up to your neck, top of your neck muscles, right? Everything is working. Everything then your body is going to go into these modes of, you know, building testosterone and, and building muscle mass and getting into the zone quickly, right? As opposed to before, if we're, you know, doing more traditional bodybuilding stuff and we're doing isolation exercises where maybe we're not getting all of the muscles involved, we're not going to be seeing that same bang for your buck. Yeah. I think you, you hit it on the head. I think that this is a way to supercharge your body's systems and supercharge what you get out of it. Supercharge your results. Um, at the most basic level, because we're doing things that elicit a really big neuromuscular neuroendocrine response. There's also an, a component to this, in addition to increasing your testosterone and muscle mass and hitting all those big muscle groups that make you perceptively healthier. There's also an aerobic component to this too. So if we do um, 10 front squats, no tempo, just full speed, turn it up to 10, do 10, and then turn right around and do a set of max uh, ring pushups your heart rate is going to be through the roof. And so we can play with that where by controlling your rest, we make this secretly an aerobic workout too. Um, And I think that's, that's one of the coolest parts of functional bodybuilding as a methodology is, is there doesn't have to be a breathe hard component for you to become, to either maintain your fitness or to become fitter. Yeah. Well, we've talked for years about, and this is something that CrossFit gyms all over the country have struggled with, is the intensity inherent in most CrossFit workouts are going to fit into a couple different energy pathways, right, that are going to be much more metabolic. It's why we call it metabolic conditioning. You're burning sugars, it's ATP reproduction. So you're in a different energy pathway. And what we mean by that is what your body calls on 
to produce the energy to complete the exercise. It's much less aerobic, right? And so in this boat, we're able to train a couple different energy pathways, but really the cool one is, you know, if you wear a heart rate monitor for this, you're probably going to be fitting into a zone four, which, you know, as there's a lot of people who have maybe tried orange theory, this would be where orange theory would roughly come in, right? You'd be in the quote unquote orange zone. So it's just above the recovery zone, but below that intensity zone where actually I think orange zones may be a little bit higher. I think that's maybe like a zone two or zone three, but zone four is our oxidative path, which is going to really actually help you in endurance things. And so it's kind of like you said, it's, it's sneaky in that way where like you don't necessarily feel like you're coming in because we get so used to quote unquote, to use Dr. Alm's term, crossfitting things going so hard all the time that we're crawling on the floor and we're rolling on our backs and it's like, Oh, everything hurts. You know, everything hurts and I'm dying. And it's just, you're, you, you couldn't get up and, you know, after sled push and airdyne day, you're not going to get up and have a meaningful conversation for a few minutes. And you definitely don't want to be talking to people when you're huffing and puffing that hard. That's a different style of training. And it does prepare you for things and has great efficacy. And like we said, it's metabolic conditioning. So it gets a lot at using a lot of the calories and the food and stuff that we use, but doing that every day for the vast majority of people doesn't produce results on the oxidative pathway which will really, for a lot of people, make your Metcons better. You'll build better lung capacity. You'll build a higher VO2 max. And it'll also de-stress some of the situations because not a lot of people, as we've talked about in the past on the podcast, not a lot of people recover enough in between their high-intensity high CrossFit sessions to really you know, grow and develop and come the next day ready to play with what I would say a gas gas tank that's full. Yeah. Right. There's still, you know, you start week on Monday and I'm operating at, you know, full gas tank. You know, if I come Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, by Thursday or Friday, I'm operating on 55, 60%. You have to recover somewhere in there. And the cool part about functional bodybuilding is yes, we're damaging the muscles. So the muscles will need to recover, but from an energy pathway standpoint and central nervous system standpoint, really should be recovering. So you can yeah. have kind of a cool, cool effect with that. I think there's, yeah, two things that you touched on that I think are really interesting. The first is, and we were talking about this the other day, we're coming out of wintertime where you can't run. My guess is, I would almost put money on it, that if you and I went to the track now, we could come both pretty close to our PR 5K time. Yeah. Neither of us have run for, I don't know, eight months, six months since the fall. Oh yeah, no, I haven't ran since. Yeah, I haven't ran since. Man, yeah, I don't even know. Yeah, it's September, October. But we, I, I would, without a doubt in my mind, we would be very, very close, um, without doing any running, without doing any long aerobic pieces, and it's because we are getting aerobic pieces. You just don't think of them like that because we're not on a treadmill or a stationary bike, rotting away for some amount of time. We're lifting weights, and you're getting the same results. You're just attacking it from a different angle. I think the second element of this is is looking at recovery and the understanding that your body doesn't function well if you are turning all your dials up to 11 
every day without any kind of rest. You can feel this. I can feel it when I need to take a rest day. If I've gone too many days, I don't have an extra gear. Yeah. The longer you do it, the more in tune with that you become. Yeah. Yeah. And you can just see it. I saw it. Unfortunately, about a hundred other people saw it in one of the open workouts where I had just gone a bunch of days in a row. There were, it was, it were movements that, that weren't great for me. And I just didn't have the extra gear and you yeah. could feel it yeah. where I need to go faster, but I feel like I can't. Yeah. And, and to me, that is the, the bright shining light saying, Hey dummy, why don't you take a rest day? Oh, yeah. And I think with, with this, um, you have to pay attention to recovery, um, but that dynamic changes a little bit and something that we'll obviously touch on. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, and so getting back to the running uh, running piece with that, it's, you know, if we break down what running is, in, in, what running is and this will take us into the advanced conversation too. Uh, if we break down what running is, right? Running really has three, maybe four components, okay? The fourth component really being anatomy, right? So, your your body weight to your stride and some of those things that you know yeah we can sort of play with but unless you're going and competing at you know marathons for you know the the sub two hour mark like you don't really need like i don't assume a lot of people are like you know oh i'm going to be optimizing my body type so that i can run in the columbus marathon in october just for fun with my friends right that's like that's sort of silly but instead what we think about the other three components are how do we get faster? Let's say 5k time. Okay. Well, I develop more leg strength so that I can press into the ground harder and I can have a more powerful, longer, more graceful stride with less effort. I build my VO2 max, my oxidative pathway, right? And I am, I build stamina. Okay. Especially in that time domain. So 20 to 45 minutes and I improve my positions. So my knees don't cave in. I don't collapse my arches, right? That's a lot of people will get iliotibial band syndrome or runner's knee. A lot of people have patella tendonitis, right? They'll have lower back pain because they cr- their core is not strong enough. So they crank their hips forward and crank that lower back on to get their stride going. Okay. So let's break down each three of those, right? And how does it pertain to functional bodybuilding? Okay. Well, leg strength, that's an obvious one, right? You're going to build a massive amount of leg strength because the majority of the work that we do is going to be hypertrophy and it's going to be leg based because, well, legs are the biggest muscles in the body. And so if we stress those muscles, naturally our body will respond with, holy crap, we need protein. And, you know, I'm going to release this testosterone and all these things that are going to help you heal those big, strong muscles in your hamstrings and quads and glutes that just did all this work. Okay. So your leg strength is going to drastically improve, especially for a lot of people where it's like, if all you've been doing is running and you haven't been doing dedicated leg or strength work, that's, and those are the people who get a little beat up at first you see them walking around a little stiff and they're struggling just to touch because I haven't done a leg day in 26 years. And so my leg muscles are underdeveloped and really for those people, which is a large group of the running community, that's your lowest hanging fruit. Build better hamstring strength so you can pull because running should have some pulling component from that hamstring to produce a bigger stride. Now you're in the air longer when you're running, right? You're not in the ground all the time. That requires less energy. You're going to improve. Okay, so that's step one. Step two, VO2 max. We just talked about oxidative pathway. Develop and grow that. 5K is usually going to be 
14 to 30 minutes right around the class time, right? For functional bodybuilding. So we're growing that oxidative pathway for somewhere between probably 15 and 45 minutes. And then we talk about positions, really trying to think about how do I keep my knee from collapsing on step 1,414? And then from every step there forward, right? My my hip muscles break down once I get this many steps in. And this runners don't think about this stuff, right? But that's how you should be thinking about it. At a certain point, my positions break down. If you think about it with CrossFit, it makes sense, okay? If I give you a body weight deadlift, and I tell you, hey, do this for five. You'd be like, yeah, sure, no problem. I can keep perfect form. Now do it for 15. Yeah, sure, I can do that. I can do that, right? Now do it for 50. Ooh, now do it for a hundred. Uh, and you're like, well, there's no fucking way I'm going to keep my, my form together. It's going to be a train wreck at a hundred. Right. And I'm going to be struggling. And as my form breaks down, you're going to struggle worse. And that's what happens with runners is on a long enough timeline, everybody is going to break down in their stride in some way, especially recreational runners. So for some people, and you can tell usually by where your pain is coming in, what your problem is. And so if it's lower back pain, usually a lot of times it's going to be either hip tightness or core strength, right? If it's knee stuff, usually that's going to be hip instability, tight ankles, tight feet, right? There's all sorts of other things that can come into play there. But if we take those components and we build a more stable hip joint and we build a stronger core, well, then naturally you'll be able to keep your running form and position significantly better for way more reps, right? Because that stability component has now advanced. Yeah, absolutely. I think no question. I think if you look at it from the other side of the coin, so running 5k long oxidative, aerobic. So let's look at it from the other side, like something like that's very short, very high intensity, like Fran, or since we just did it, Grace. Yeah. How does this help that? Grace is a good one because it's scalable, like all the way up. I did Grace in October and like rep 27, nailed myself in the chin, jumping forward. And so (laughs) this'll, this'll fit in. That'll, that'll underlie what you're about to talk about, I think. So those, those uh, workouts are inherently short. They're sprints. They're very simple. Grace is one movement. Fran is two. Um, and they really punish inefficiency. So it doesn't, uh, there's an element where strength becomes secondary in those movements to efficiency and they just roast you because you become, as you said, uh, you're maybe not inefficient with your first rep, but when you get up there and you get tired, you sure are. And that's where it just comes down like a ton of bricks on you. So, what functional bodybuilding does for something like that, though nothing we do is really a sprint per se, it's not four time, it's kind of the opposite, is it improves your movement pattern. So if we look at something like grace in the inefficiencies there, if you have poor movement patterns in pulling, if you don't effectively extend your hips, and if you have a poor movement pattern in pressing overhead, like the bar, say, comes forward as opposed to straight up, you are, it's akin to having all of your doors and windows open it, when it's nine degrees out or 99 degrees out, you are wasting energy. And that workout will punish you every rep for wasting energy. What are you conditioning the whole neighborhood? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what we focus on slowly, oftentimes forced slowness with tempo and pausing is fixing the movement pattern. 
The side benefit of that is you get physically stronger. So not only do you have a better movement pattern when you're doing France, you're not pressing the bar out in front of you, you're a better front squatter. So you're not up on your toes, roasting your quads and you're better at overhead pulling. So you can do your sets of pull-ups faster, more efficiently. You don't have to drop down from the bar or you're just not moving like garbage. So you're doing twice as much work as the person next to you. Um, So, you know, there's, there's a huge amount of benefit, I think, regardless of what the ultimate goal is. And it could be long, slower pieces where you're calling on different energy systems or it could be short, fast things where moving uh, forcefully and well and with, with, with along the right uh, pathways is really what either leads to a, a win or a suboptimal performance. Yeah. And, you know, we've talked about this in the past a little bit with the term movement economy. Right. And where are you getting unnecessarily taxed? Right. And it's tax season. Everybody hates taxes. Right. Nobody likes taxes. Yet there are so many people. And this is where we get into the advanced athlete conversation. What advanced athletes can take out of this? And so, you know, you and me, we're perfect examples of this. We're great examples of it, because if you and I go out right now, I think last summer we both hit 530 miles. Right. We're we're sub 20 you know, 5k guys. And, you know, you put me on an airdyne and I can compete with the top in the world. And so when you take away movement, then all other things equal, we're pretty competitive. Now, when you start to make it thrusters and burpees for me, that's a different story. And if you guys who have seen me do that horrible, awful open workout. They did the 21, 18, 15, 12, nine, six, three thrusters and burpees over the bar. You have seen that eat my lunch multiple times and I, I lose total control. I mean, I'm, I'm falling forward on my toes. I'm tripping over the barbell. I mean, like I, I look bad. My body language is bad, which is unique for me, but I bleed energy in the bottom of the squat because I have tight ankles. And so my core has to work overtime. My front rack has to work overtime. Then when my front rack has to work overtime, I have to start to rely on my shoulders to press the bar early. And my shoulders are doing a ton of work. And then on the burpee, that's going to start to really cost you. So for me to get better at that workout, I don't need to get an ounce more in shape. I don't. It's not the best way for me to improve my time. The best way for me to improve my time is to have a better front squat and have a better front rack position where I can be more casual and relaxed and breathe without having to hold my breath in the bottom of the squat because I have to maintain a good brace because I'm forward. And so my core has to tighten up like crazy for that. And then one of the biggest things for me when that workout first came out, I did jump forward burpees and I, I don't have the best hip flexibility. So I landed with these wide feet and then I stepped up to the bar and then I jumped over. Right. And so my first time was, I mean, I just got destroyed and, and it really, really hurt. Like it was not fun. The next time we did, I think it was the next open the next year I did. I practiced the whole year and I did step forward burpees. Right. And I was probably in worse shape the next year. And I did step forward burpees and just that cut about a minute and a half off my time. And I felt better just because I was more efficient in my movement. 
right? Now this year we redid not that one, but the double under and thruster one. And my time was almost the exact same. But when I did it before, I was wearing knee sleeves, Olympic lifting shoes, a belt. I was artificially fixing my movement. You're all geared up. This year, I cracked my knuckles at the end of a class and did it. And my time was only like 15 or 20 seconds slower. And I just did it in the normal training week. Like before it was like, you take a rest day, then you do a prep day. Then you, you know, you're mobilized. You're doing Ramwad every night. You're eating for it. This is like just a Tuesday in class, you know, just popped in and, and did it. And so as my movement patterns start to improve, I'm in, I'm not in competitive shape anymore, but I'm still PRing things simply because I can now squat with bare feet like that alone has allowed me to have better movement economy, take less tax through my workouts because I'm out of position and then my muscles don't have to work as hard. I don't struggle as much to brace and breathe during thrusters or wall balls or squat cleans or whatever. Right. And therefore I'm able to continue in the workout and not feel as not be as wrecked you know, not be taking as many breaths, not be, you know, not just be crushing the muscles. And that's what you think about, right? The more those muscles have to work, the more oxygen they require. Yeah. And the more oxygen they require, the more smoked you feel. So it's kind of two prong. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, if we look at the, the individual who is trying to um, take a harder look at performance, and this is an appropriate time because we're coming toward the end of the open, Open workouts are inherently tests. They hey, are, we have another one in October. Yeah, they are. They are meant to expose your flaws. So for me, I see myself as being intensely segmented. Certain things, pretty proficient. Other things, train wreck. Um, in those workouts, the, those benchmark workouts, I always think of DT because it, it, it really explo- exposes flaws for me and takes me for a ride to ex- an extent that I get nervous, like when we have it, because I know it's just going to, it's really just going to punish, punish me. I'm going to be the last one done and it's going to be just a bear. Yeah. Um, what functional bodybuilding does, though, is helps you to fix your errors. So when the tests come and we could think of the the Metcon portion of a CrossFit class at some level, sometimes if you want it to be certainly let alone open workouts or when we do benchmarks as tests yep. of your fitness, you are more prepared for the test. Yep. And it's not, like you said, it's not necessarily just that you're stronger, just that you have a higher VO2 max, or just that now you can do butterfly pull-ups or whatever trick gets you a good to go a little faster. It's that you move with better economy. You move far more efficiently. So you don't need artificial things like lifters or a belt or knee sleeves because you just move better. Your body functions how it's supposed to. And you can, you could do the workout barefoot if you wanted to. Yep. Yeah. We talk about this a lot. It's, you know, any other sport, it's easy for people to see the difference between practice and tests. And we comparatively, especially to a lot of other gyms, we spend a lot of time doing, you know, warmups every day with intention, right? Talking through movements, going through coach led Olympic lifting warmups where you are going to be taking the time to practice, right? But even still, a lot of times following practice, we go into events where you could work on better movement or 
you could throttle yourself and go into test mode. Right. Right. But where I like this a lot is for me, especially it gives me a dedicated class where I am coming with the purpose to work on my movement. And so it's practice time. It, this is the time that I am going to overwhelm any of the bad reps that I did throughout the week, any of the reps where I got maybe a little too tired or I got lazy or I was tight and I didn't warm up properly. And I maybe did a couple bad reps right now. I'm going to overwhelm those bad reps with good reps. Right. And this is the, you know, the golfer again, basketball is a great analogy for me is basketball. I, I, was good for a while. And when I was good, it was when I was practicing left-handed layups. I was learning how to drill. My dad was my coach. He's taking me through drills, all these things, right? Where I started to get bad or fade comparatively to my peers was when it was, you know, Hey, let's screw around and toss up some half court shots over my head. And, you know, just, you just mess around and then there's no more practice. It's just games, right? I just play pickup games, pickup games all the time, right? When in reality, what you need to do to get better is, you know, spend some dedicated time. I I was a two hand jump shooter, right? I needed to spend some time learning how to shoot a real jump shot. Like, you know, watch Ray Allen, emulate and try to practice that and practice it void of any stress or pressure pressure, you know, go slow, right? Just work on the movement pattern. And it's the same thing here. It allows us some time just dedicated throughout the week that you can block off and say, you know, Hey, I'm going to go there and I'm going to practice getting better at my front squat. I'm really going to dial in my deadlift and make sure that I'm not craning my neck or overstressing that position in my spine so that every time that I deadlift in the future, I'm not struggling to get out of bed the next day. I think that's, that's the component that really differentiates it, differentiates it is that it's not for time. Yeah. It is not a race. You aren't comparing your score. For time the other way. <laughs> yeah, we're going it's, to, it's, it's, we're it's gonna who go, can move slower. Who can go the slowest. <laughs> um, and it is, it is practice time. It's your time to get better at whatever you want to get better at. And there's not a person there, a person in the gym or a person in the world who doesn't have stuff that they would like to get better at or need to for their long-term health and fitness. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you can, you know, the deadlift idea, deadlift a lot, but you deadlift with your back rounded and your neck's craned and you're doing all these movement errors, sooner or later, you're not going to deadlift very much. Yeah. Maybe not at all. Yeah. But if you fix it and you deadlift perfectly or as close to perfectly as you can, and you're always trying to dial it in, you're going to do it forever and you're going to carry the consequent benefits of doing it forever with you forever. There's never a point where you can't, can't quote unquote, do something anymore because you just broke your body to the point where it can handle it. Yeah. Stability doesn't really like just go away. It's, I mean, every now and again, you see somebody come in the gym, like Chris is a great example. It's just like, you know, Chris is just stable. I mean, he could, you know, it's, I tell people the story all the time. It's like he hadn't snatched in two years, a year and a half. And we went and did like a pickup competition for fun and just snatched 265. Just no problem. (laughs) Like hadn't, hadn't put a barbell overhead in like two years. Right. And, and so it's just, it's not going anywhere, especially if you're training other movement patterns. And so again, it's about building up that hedge because building that muscle takes time. It takes effort, a lot of effort, it and consistent effort. But the cool part about that is once you build it, I mean, it's pretty hard. Like you have to work dedicatedly work to lose it. Right. It's like you have to have like surgery and go into a cast and have like atrophy and like, in, you know, outside circumstances. Um, so for the last part, what I want to talk about is 
you know, let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, we talked about uh, rubbing sandpaper on your hands, you know, yeah. already, you know, uh, scratching the itch that's been scratched multiple over scratched, right? Is how does this fit into, you know, a week? How does this fit into a CrossFit class? Let's say somebody is like, awesome, you know, this, this sounds great. Uh, I like it. And I want to jump in on, you know, Tuesday and Thursday and Sunday. I want to do this three times a week. How would you envision that looking uh, for people? And let's just talk a little bit about about, you know, especially for people who are listening, but, you know, are no longer at friendship or, or don't come anymore and, you know, want to want to be involved with this in some way. Yeah, absolutely. So. I think the first thing to think about is is not being at friendship is not a barrier to entry because yeah. we're going to have a remote programming component to this where you can do this. Uh, and this would include if you can't do if you can't come to class at five, you know, whatever the time is in the evening, that just doesn't make sense in your schedule. That doesn't mean that you can't participate and gain benefit from something like this. So I think that's the first thing. There are multiple paths. Um, Assuming that someone could come, I think the way to look at this is to have it be its own training day. This would not be something that you would derive benefit from doing in conjunction on the same day as a normal CrossFit class. The opposite basically would happen is you are you are holding yourself back by doing that. Your body is not designed to handle tremendous punishment without some consequent result in diminished performance. So the sandpaper idea, if you have a scratch on your hand and you've, I think you've brought this up previously and you, instead of letting the, the abrasion heal, you just rub sandpaper on it every day. It's not going to heal. Well, the same thing happens with lifting weights or stressing your muscles. If you stress the same muscles every day, you never actually give them a chance to rebuild themselves and they won't. They're just in a constant state of stress and just trying to cope with that. So you won't see, you will see at best diminished performance gains. So if your goal in doing more volume is that you want to have better performance, you want to squat more, deadlift more, clean and jerk more, faster time at workout X, you will get worse. You are not going to get better. This is not a more equals more thing. This is a be smart. Go as hard as you can at whatever you're doing on a given day thing and focus only on that. And I think you're a great example of this is you don't have the highest volume in the gym, not even close. But when you're there, you're going for the most part really hard. You you are at 11. So you are still PRing things. You're still going fast um, despite not having this volume that's, you know, the equivalent of a, a games athlete that is ridiculous. Yeah. And I've done both ends and I feel way better this way. Uh, you know, it's, and I think when you feel better, you can also, you can perform at a higher capacity as well. So I think there's a component of that, but we just saw it with the squat cycle. I mean, we're seeing, I mean, Josh just posted what 52 pound PR, 60 pound PR Clark, you know, 40 pounds, uh, you know, and this was a conversation that I had with Jason Grove a few years ago before we did the first squat cycle, you know, and he was, he was doing class five, six days a week. And then he was doing hatch at home. He was doing all this stuff. And it was just like, I just don't, think that your body's even capable of keeping up with that. And as soon as we started to slow things back down, well, then it was like, oh man, game on like green lights went everywhere and it was just PRs all over the place. 
And the cool part about it is less injuries also, right? And so the, you know, we were talking a little bit before we get on air. I'm going to try to find a better analogy because I think I, I hammered one in. I remembered a book I read one time. We talk about getting paid for your additional risk, right? And so if we think about risk in this capacity is injuring your body, burning yourself out from training, overtraining generally, right? That could be adrenal fatigue. That could be lack of sleep. That could be nutrients not coming into the body. We're not growing muscle. We're not developing. We're not getting better like we want to, okay? So that's our risk, okay, is, is overdoing things and not getting better, so we don't get the reward, okay? What we think about with this then is the real goal here is to get the highest return possible. So the most muscle mass, the best looking we can be, and the highest level performance for the least downside risk. So the lowest possibility of injuring ourselves, right? The minimal accept- acceptable dose. Exactly. And so, you know, for those of you guys who listen, I, I enjoy reading, um, you know, Warren Buffett's things and other, other investment books. And one of the things, you know, you talk about is you have to get paid for the risk that you're taking. So the returns have to be exponential, right? And so the best analogy for this is if we're playing roulette, right? And they spin the wheel and you can vote on black or red, how much do they pay you for that? They pay you two to one, right? So you, you, you pay that and you get twice your money back, right? And casinos get over on that because of the green spots, right? So statistically, the odds are still tilted in their favor. They wouldn't let you play roulette if there weren't the green spots, right. because on a long enough timeline, you would guarantee to break even, right? And so when we think about this, we want to play games where the odds are stacked in our favor, okay, where I can guarantee you the equal, if not greater return with no risk of injury. And so where I think about this then is let's optimize the week. What does the week look like, right? If I'm a person, so there's a few different schools of thought of people, right? Person number one, you might be 58 years old and, you know, 45, 50% body fat, you know, diabetic. We have blood pressure problems. And our goal one is not necessarily going to be functional bodybuilding, right? It's maybe not going to be building muscle mass. Will it have benefit for you? Sure, right? But again, we go back to bang for your buck. Some of the movements might be a little hard on a 60-year-old person who's 50% body fat. And so we might not be at the place yet where we can do these tempo movements in the right capacity. So at first it might be, hey, we're gonna try to drop 50 pounds of fat, right? Whatever it is, okay? So that's, that's somebody. But let's say we're in the boat where I am pretty fit, I'm pretty healthy, and I see the value in growing and building muscle mass. And so I'm going to start to look at taking on this style of training. What I think is a perfect split now and what I'm going to do myself is I'll probably do Monday, Tuesday class. And Tuesday is going to be my functional bodybuilding day, right? I'm going to take Wednesday off. Thursday is either going to be functional bodybuilding or off. Friday might be a class and then Saturday, Sunday, see how I feel, right? So three to four days a week, okay? Just like you said then, if I'm only going three to four days a week and two of those are gonna be functional bodybuilding, well, guess what that allows me to open up inside of that CrossFit class or two that I take? 
I'm going to be going like a madman. Right? Bananas, if, it's, yeah. if it's bikes and sleds, hey, this is this is where I am going to get my heart rate above 180, 190 for the week. I'm going to have a lot of juice in the tank. I'm going to be ready to push it. And I'm going to take it that way because I know that I don't have to worry about the hero workout the next day or, you know, whatever it might be. And then what I'm really going to focus on is developing movement patterns. Now, am I going to do it forever? You know, maybe not. Maybe I take a little bit of time off. Maybe I do three, four months and I grow and build muscle and I really focus on eating that way. And, you know, then I take a little bit of time off and maybe I do a little bit more dedicated endurance work over the summer or something like that. But I think that that's a good split where maybe we do two, maybe three days a week of a build or a functional bodybuilding type programming and two maybe three days a week of CrossFit, right? Two and two is right for me with how I move, how I aged, my training age, right? We talk about that a lot. My joints are a little bit more beat up than a lot of people. Uh, I also can operate at a higher capacity, which means, you know, every rep that I do, is going to be a little bit more stressful, right? It's like if, if I, you know, if meat wagon deadlifts 660 and you deadlift 240 because you've only been deadlifting for a year and he's been deadlifting for 20. Well, I can tell you that 660 is going to be a lot more stressful than 220 is going to be, regardless of perceived effort. Like your perceived effort might both be 100%, but what happens to his body and his mind and his muscles and everything, it's going to be a lot more stressful because his training age allows him to train at more peak performance. Yeah, and I think that's an important thing. It's something actually Ryan and I have talked a lot about is when we started, um, we were able to, in our minds, uh, come a little more often and we've both found that we need, it feels like we need more rest days now. And it's not that we're less fit because we're both far more fit than we were. It's that we're more fit. So you, everything that you're doing, you're doing heavier, you're doing faster, you're going more efficiently. So you're getting more reps in. So it's more taxing. So that's something for the performance for focused person to bear in mind is that you're, if you're already functioning at a high level, you need to think about the accumulated wear and tear that that has on you. Incidentally, what you described to my knowledge, and I think you could speak on this is not different from what competitive athletes in the sport of fitness do. Nobody does eight, nine Metcons a week all year long because it would absolutely destroy you. They all have points where they focus on functional bodybuilding-esque stuff. And that might be three or four months out of the year. So if they can do it, people whose livelihoods depend on their performance, not just I would like to back squat more and I would like to improve my general performance. They get paid for it. They're professionals. If they do it, then certainly the rest of us can can take a really hard look at going that direction as well. Yeah. And I I mean, uh regret, I guess you would say, I'm not positive if regret's the right word for me, but because you're only working with available resources at the time. And at the time when I was coaching, when I was training, when I was programming for games, athletes, and for us, for the games and everything, there was much less information on this type of training. And so I didn't feel it was quite available. And the culture at the time was more Metcons. And like you said, then it started to start to shift to an off season and an on season. And the off season was five days a week of functional bodybuilding, maybe one Metcon 
and maybe one endurance piece or four days a week of bodybuilding and de-stressing the systems, building up movement patterns and building a massive foundation, right? That you can build on now. And again, the, the, you know, landscape of, of CrossFit has evolved and it's pushed human performance to a place that we've never seen before. And so what you, what some of these guys who have seen, and again, if you think about train age, like you think about what these guys, what Matt Frazier is capable of for him to push on Metcons on snatching on some of those things. If you listen to him, I mean, he trained the entire last game season. He never snatched. He said, he was like, I, I never got above 240 on a snatch. The guy snatches 315. He goes to the games. He snatches 315 without ever having snatched. Why? Right? Well, because it's just not of a high value for him given the other things and how stressful it is on his body, really stressful on the body, really stressful on joints. So instead I can do some functional bodybuilding. I can build the foundation of the snatch independent of it because I know that I have the movement pattern already. So for those of you guys who know you can nail a 95 pound thruster, right? The game then becomes how, how like efficient can I be in the movement and how fast can I do the movement? And so some of the times that means taking a few steps back. It's the great, greatest Greg Glassman quote is once you feel like you've reached peak performance, stop, start over and go back through the fundamentals with a fine tooth comb. And I've always adopted that as my mentality with sort of like every quote unquote beginning of the off season. But that is the landscape now of what these guys are doing is it's you wake up in the morning and it's maybe a 60 minute, two hour hike or bike ride at a low aerobic pace, get the blood flowing, get the metabolism up a little bit, start the day, get some vitamin D. And then we're going to do some functional bodybuilding and some light training stuff in the afternoon. And that's it. Then maybe once a week, we're going to hit it. We're going to hit it hard. And outside of that, it's just training skills. I mean, it's if the amazing thing that I've started to see is the people who take the time to, you know, develop double unders, toes to bar, muscle ups, handstand push ups, snatching, clean and jerks, those movements right there. If you take the time to develop that skill just above what other people can do skill wise, you're automatically ahead of. 98% of the competitors in the open. What then separates you in those movements is how long you can keep up good efficiency. Mm. And so we look at that toe to bar, double under squat, clean workout. It just is how long can you keep up really good, you know, squat cleans, how long are you to do your toes to bar hang on. And so then it's figuring out what your low hanging fruit is. Yeah. And so if we can kind of work on that, then you're going to see that performance just elevate to the next level. So, all right, we've gone, Ooh, nice and long, about an hour and 10 minutes. Very fun, very fun chat. We could talk about this all day. I'm sure we'll talk about it again in the future. Um, So what we're going to think about, guys, and what you'll see coming up this week, and probably will already be out by the time this podcast comes out, but if you guys are at Friendship, you guys will be able to take uh, advantage of coming to the coached class called Build with Ryan coaching it the majority of the days. Obviously, we'll probably have some some fillers come in so that Ryan can uh, have a nice evening off. And then Sundays will remain free for people to come by. So if you guys are interested, you're in the area, you want to check it out, come on a Sunday, email us ahead of time. You guys can come and try it. And then if you guys are remote or you guys have a home gym and maybe you guys train in the morning, 
you want to maybe pop this into your programming here and there, you guys can reach out to us and we can set you up with the remote programming option where the programming will get sent to you. And if you have individual questions, you can always reach out to me directly. Shoot me an email. Super easy. Ryan, R-Y-A-N, at friendshipfitness.com. I like to talk about this stuff. So if you have some more specific question, shoot me an email and we'll chat about it.